0: Sheila uh, talked or spoke last week and I've only just listened to it last night and I realised how mine kind of intermingles with it, so hopefully that's a God incidence and hopefully they complement each other and we're building upon what Sheila was talking about last, last week. But i will continuing the series of walking in the pleasure of God. Now it's been a couple of months since I've mentioned walking in the pleasure of God, but we're going to continue maybe one more sermon. About it, but uh, have you ever thought of a kind thing to say or do for someone, and then instantly you've talked yourself out, t- talked yourself out of doing it for whatever reason? You've had a kind thought, oh, and you're thinking, nah, you know, I'm too busy, or no, I don't fancy doing that, or no, they're, they're all the way over there, the other side of the room, or something like that. Well, here's some more examples. You've had, a th- you've had a thought that a work colleague needs a kind word of encouragement, but then immediately you feel like you can't be bothered to walk over there and say something. Or, you're walking past your husband in the kitchen and you have a thought, I should tell him he looks handsome today. <laughs> Never, Wendy? Always tell the truth. All right, see, so you, you have a thought, I should tell him he looks handsome today, but then immediately there's another thought that says, yes, but he never compliments me. (laughs) And you don't do it. Or you're walking past your wife in the kitchen and you think, I should give her a kiss. But then immediately you have another thought that says, but I'm too busy for that. Have you ever experienced that or is it just me? (laughs) Why do we do that? Why do we sabotage our own good thinking? Why do we do it? Okay. Well, um, in May last year, I wrote in my journal something that Jesus was pointing out to me, that I was swerving his promptings. Now, if you sense that Jesus was saying to you, you're swerving my promptings, would you understand what he was talking about? Yeah? Some? Okay. Well, this was particularly poignant for me because a while before he said this to me, I'd actually prayed that I'd be a more loving husband. (laughs) And he had been helping me. The Holy Spirit was giving me all sorts of loving prompts, a bit like what we just discussed. Give your wife a kiss. The thought, I should give my wife a kiss. But no, I'm too busy for that. And whether she wants it or not... (laughs) And the Holy Spirit was indeed helping me with giving me all sorts of loving prompts and I was, you know, swerving them, walking around them and carrying on. And the sad thing is, is that often I was aware I was doing it. You know, I often acknowledged, ah, yeah, but no, too busy or whatever it is. I was siding with the counter-argument voice instead of the initial fruit of the Spirit voice. Now, in Romans... Paul describes this as the the wrangle between the spirit and our sinful nature we've all inherited since Adam and Eve. A bit like the knowledge of good and evil. Before the fall, Adam and Eve only knew good. But after the fall, they knew good and evil. And that's the same with us, isn't it? There's good and evil. We know it both. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Happy birthday to Linda Needham, by the way. Just remember, happy birthday. Galatians 6, verse 8. It says, Whoever sows to please the flesh, or their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So when we have those Holy Spirit promptings, Which are inevitably followed by those fleshy arguments or responses back. Who are we going to please in the moment? The flesh or the spirit? Now let's get back to early on in the history of God's people to hear God expand on this thing a little bit more. So, Deuteronomy chapter 30, back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's a famous chapter. It's the you choose chapter. Here is that, here's that, you choose. And by the way, God says, choose that one. Okay, this is the you choose chapter, which is what Sheila was talking about last week, wasn't it? Choosing, decisions. So God expands a bit more about these decisions and the, uh, the consequences. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach it's not up in the heavens so that you have to ask, who will ascend up to heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No. The word, that's the word spoken by God, is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Now the Old Testament God gave his people his word, which was in their mouths as they read it aloud, and spoke it to themselves and each other. And Christian uh, told me this week that actually the Hebrew word for meditate, what God's word says, we must meditate on God's word, actually means to mutter. So God's word is meant to be on our lips, not just in our books kind of thing. It's supposed to be spoken, muttered. And maybe the our use of the sword of the Spirit would be actually much more effective if we were to mutter the word of God more on our lips, perhaps. Anyway, in this passage, God's word was in their mouths and also in their hearts, probably meaning their consciences, which bear witness to the fact that God's word is true. God has given everyone a conscience, so it's in their mouths and it's in their hearts or in their conscience. And but for us, now since Jesus as well as the privilege of having the word of God in our mouths and echoed in our consciences, what else does the born-again believer receive from God as an extra help and assistance in following him? The word? Sorry? Christ in us. Yeah, the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we have all that we are reading here in the Old Testament, God's word in our mouths and our hearts, but also more. We have his spirit also dwelling inside us. Okay, That's why, or well, one of the reasons, it's called the better covenant. Let's read verse 14 again. No, the word, and we could add, and the Holy Spirit, for us Christians, is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Okay, what three things does I should have checked the pens before I uh did this. Okay, what three things does God tell us to do in walking in obedience to him? Love the Lord, so we put i just put love God for the sake of speed love God what's the next thing yeah walk in obedience walk in obedience and what's the last one sorry keep his commands three keep commands okay all right These are the three things God is asking of His people: love God, walk in obedience, keep His commands. Okay. Does Jesus still require us from? Uh, does Jesus still require that from us today? Yeah, Jesus said, didn't He? In John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commands. This is still a requirement for New Testament spirit-filled believers. Okay. Verse sixteen, halfway through. When you do this, then you will live, in, live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient. So it seems that disobedience happens when our hearts turn away from loving God. If our eyes look away from God long enough, our hearts will follow. And disobedience occurs. That's the problem, isn't it? When our starts, eyes start to wander, or our minds start to wander away from God, then our hearts follow, don't they? What was it first, mind or eyes, in Genesis chapter 3 that um, Sheila spoke about last week? What was first to wander with Eve when Satan tempted her? Was it the eyes or the mind? Eyes? Was it eyes? What did Satan say? It was the mind. He said, did God say and actually twisted his word, didn't they? Did God say you must not eat from any tree? That wasn't it. So her mind was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, um. And then she saw the fruit, and it was good. So it was the mind wandered, and then her eyes followed the mind, and then heart followed into disobedience. Sometimes it's the mind, sometimes it's the eyes that lead us first, away f- when we look away from the Lord. Okay, no wonder Hebrews 12 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Hebrews 3 says, fix our thoughts on Jesus. Okay, carrying on. Verse 17, halfway through. And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death Blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. So, according to God, there are three things that embody choosing life. What are they? Love God, again. What's the next one? Louder. Listen to his voice these are the three things that make up choosing life listen to his voice and hold fast Okay. now if you compare them to the first three that God mentioned love God, love God, they're the same aren't they walk in obedience is the same as listen to his voice and keep his commands is the same as hold fast holding fast to what is it? to him Hold fast to him Okay, He's basically saying it in a different way. It means the same thing. This is what choosing life, true life, really is. OK. Let's read on. It says, halfway through verse 20, "For the Lord is your life." And he will give you many years in the land He swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So to love God and walk in obedience is to choose. Life with a capital L. In fact, we've just read in the last verse that the Lord is your life. Now, I'd like to reread to you something that I read to you a while ago, and I wrote this about our dog when she was a puppy. When I go for a walk with Happy, that's the name we've given our dog, when I go for a walk with Happy and let her off the lead, my fatherly heart thinks, go on, Happy, enjoy yourself, Be bold, say hello, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's okay, I'll wait for you while you bounce around like Tigger, making friends and enjoying yourself in the long grass. And I'm pleased to see you enjoying life. After all, that's the reason I chose you, to live your life to the full. A lot of my enjoyment comes from her enjoyment. But more than this, what gives my heart and soul most pleasure of all is when it's time to carry on our walk and part ways with the other dogs and the other dog walkers. It's the point when Happy chooses whom to continue her adventure with. At this point, I don't usually call Happy. For me, her father, it's a time of hopeful testing. I say goodbye to the other dog walkers, and then I continue my walk away from the exciting gathering of other dogs and people. Will Happy notice that I'm walking away? If she does, who will she choose to be with? The fun bunch over there or her dad? I feel so proud of her and so loved by her when she always seems to make her choice so quickly and so seemingly easy. It only takes a few steps of mind before she notices and thinks, Daddy, where are you? Wait for me. It's so lovely to be chosen, isn't it? It's the, in the beginning, I chose Happy. We chose her, we bought her. And now she keeps choosing me. It's a real sign of her devotion. And I'm pleased for me. Yay, Happy chose me. But more importantly, I am pleased for Happy. Because I want the best for her. I am the best for her. And I'm happy that she chose me, because that is what's best for her. And that is what God is urging us in our Old Testament reading this morning. Choose me. Choose me every time. Choose me. He is literally our life. People might think they have life outside the will of God. So many things outside of God can appear to have and give life, can't they? Careers, relationships. Hobbies, pursuits, pets. They can have a, 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 an appearance of giving life, but ultimately, every single thing done outside the obedience of God actually leads to death. Physical death and spiritual death. So why wouldn't we choose God every time? Yeah, we're idiots, Mike says. It's the fallen nature, isn't it? We have the knowledge of good and evil, and evil's tempting. If he set before everyone life and death, blessing and curses, why would anyone choose death and curse? Why on earth would we want to sow to the flesh and reap destruction instead of sowing to the Spirit and reaping eternal life? Now, Jesus said eternal life is knowing, a relationship with the Father and Jesus. That's what eternal life is, a relationship now and forever. Why would we... Dismiss that and go for the destruction and death instead. Now, Sheila took us back to Genesis last week, in the beginning, where there was only one bad decision to make. It was so simple in the beginning, wasn't it? It would seem that to choose God would be a no-brainer. Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God without any hindrances, any barriers, any complications whatsoever. Wouldn't you love that? Well, one day you will, which we saw on Katie's video. 1 Corinthians says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. No devil, no fallen nature, no knowledge of good and evil, only knowledge of good, which is God. I love the question Pete Gregg posed on the prayer course we covered earlier this year. What would your conversation be like if you had no problems, no needs, the world was had no problems and needs? I mean, Adam and Eve, what did they talk about with God in the garden? Because they had no problems, no needs. Imagine what your conversations would be like with the Father and with Jesus. One day. But for now, sadly, it's complicated, isn't it? It's not simple. Is complicated. And in Genesis chapter 3, the fall happened. They fell for the deception of the devil. They let their eyes and minds be wandered, their hearts followed, and they obeyed the enemy instead of God. They chose themselves and the enemy rather than they choosing God. And along came sin. And what sin seems to do is instantly make things complicated, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed how something was straightforward and then was exposed to sin and it becomes fractured and no longer straightforward? We see that with Adam and Eve. From a simple to simple to complicated in one bite of, a, one bite of the fruit, an evening stroll in the pleasure of God soon became shame, exile, pain, family breakdown, more exile, more family breakdown. And from now on, their world seemed to be flooded not just with one bad choice, but with a multiple options of bad choices. A bit like our sinful nature became like a child in a sweet shop. Oh, wow, so much choice. Or a bit like Bob in a train shop. So, oh, so much choice, and that's what happens to our fallen nature. So many ways we could sin, so many options now to do wrong and to not choose God. Well, In my journal a few weeks ago, I wrote down something I thought Jesus was pointing out to me. He asked me if I noticed how each time I chose to follow him instead of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which is explained in 1 John 2. When I chose not to follow that, but follow him, it brought simplicity into my life instead of complication. Have you you ever noticed that God's truth tends to straighten and simplify, whereas sin tends to complicate and distort? I also wrote this warning from Jesus in my journal. The enemy, wants to pe- the enemy wants people tied up with knots and tangled up in his web of wickedness. Is that right? Can the devil tangle us up? Well, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, sin that so easily entangles us. So just like we see from Satan's interaction with Adam and Eve in the beginning, that's his mode of operandi. For us not to love God, not to listen to his voice or not to hold fast to him, but instead to choose something other than what God wants for us and then we become entangled. Things become complicated. Things become tangled and complicated between other people and with you and God. But do you know what else I wrote in my journal that morning? The enemy wants people tied up in knots and tangled up in his web of wickedness. Whereas my word and my spirit are there to be heeded, to make the path straight and all grace abound. Do you think that's true? When we heed the word of God and the Holy Spirit, things get straightened out and grace abounds? Well, firstly, what do you think it means to heed the word and the spirit? Well, do you remember during lockdown I shared a video of Happy running on the golf course, going up to a golf ball, sniffing it, not picking it up and then running off? And it was a demonstration to share that we taught Happy not to, to pick up golf balls. Because I like walking on golf courses and if we're going to do that, she knows, she needs to know not to pick up the golf balls and upset the golfers. And she did, she's learned that. She doesn't pick up golf, she'll pick up tennis balls quite often. She's good at finding them, but she ignores the golf ball so we can go for walks on the golf course now Happy also needs to know my, not just my old commands that I've taught her but new commands as well that I might need to say right there in the moment like come here stop, wait, you know we get near a road wait or this way or no and she's just about a duck and roll in something stinky so she needs to remember the old commands I've already spoken to her but also be aware of the new commands that I might be saying to her in the moment. And that's what I think the Lord meant by we need, when we heed the Word and the Holy Spirit, his old commands and his new commands, what he's already said to us that we already remember and know, and the ones that he's saying to us in the moment. When we heed those, things seem to be straightened out and less complicated and grace abounds. Let's think of a scenario. For a married person to be flirting with a person at work, what might some of the outcomes be? Well, there might be some lying going on, maybe. Um, Some suspicion, perhaps, from people at home, maybe. Um, Jealousy. Uh, There might be adultery going on. Separation. Uh, divorce, pain, anguish, not just for the two people involved, but for a whole variety. If someone starts to choose to go that way in that sin. So much complication involved for all. And also the spiritual and the physical entanglement of what sin does. And the enemy gives a foothold, it says in the Bible. It literally gives an enemy a place in our lives. But what if that person said no? to the lusts in that moment and choosing instead to heed the word of God, which they know says, do not covet. Do not commit adultery. And Jesus says, even if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. What happens if you choose to heed his voice, hold fast to him, keep his commands in that moment and say no? What happens then? Have you, have you complicated things? Have you got entangled at all? No, quite the opposite. What have you done right there? Ultimately, you've chosen God over yourself, over sin. That is doing exactly what life consists of, which is summed up as the greatest commandment. Basically, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, everything you have in that moment, obeying him. Your body, your mind, your spirit, I'm choosing God. And right there, that is life. And that is the greatest commandment. That is walking in the pleasure of God, right there in that moment. And what can God do for you right there in that moment when you submit to him, love him and obey him? Well, quickly, we're finishing now. Proverbs 3, turn to Proverbs 3, verse 5. Now, this is, not the gospel of, this is not the gospel of God. My journal is not the gospel of God, but I felt Jesus was saying that when you heed my word and my spirit, um, it makes the path straight and all grace abound. And I just thought of this scripture that confirms that word to me, that it probably was the Lord speaking to me. This is what happens. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Love God, walk in obedience, keep his commands. And lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. He can do it, can't he? If you do that, he can do that. Sin entangles, complicates and twists, but obedience to God's word and his spirit frees, simplifies and straightens. Jesus explained in John 17 that God's word is truth. And earlier in John 8, he explained to the crowd that if they hold on to his word, which is truth, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Acting in sin is a lie that entangles us. But acting on God's word and the prompting of his Holy Spirit is truth which straightens and frees. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't mean that your life will always be easy. It will be straighter and simpler, but it doesn't mean it will always be easy, or that you won't be called to come alongside complicated people. Okay? And another thing encouraging about my journal, that entry that morning, was that I sensed Jesus ending with this. Even those things which have been complicated in the past can be unravelled by surrendering and yielding now. So he doesn't just straighten out and untangle our present and our future. When we come to the Lord, he can also begin to straighten out and untangle us from the past as well. When we heed his word and his spirit. Now when Jesus came, when we come to Jesus initially, when we got born again, we got saved, having believed, repented and been baptised as we learned a couple of weeks ago, We received what Jesus described to Peter as he washed his feet as being bathed. Okay, when you came to Jesus and repented and you got born again, saved, you were bathed, completely cleansed, forgiven. Received the gift of the Holy Spirit inside you. But then Jesus went on to explain to Peter, but when you've had a bath, you no longer need to have this bath again, but you do need to have your feet washed. When we begin a journey of loving the Lord, listening to his voice, holding fast to him, and growing in our ability to choose him by sowing to the spirit instead of the flesh in each moment, and we won't always get it right, will we? When we start to do that, we grow from glory to glory. And if we mess up, well, the Bible says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, cleansing our feet, as it were. And as we do that, he can unravel our entanglement from the enemy's wicked web. He can straighten out and set free. Even if you've got a really entangled past, he can begin to do that in our lives. And not only that, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul shares that God enjoys a cheerful, cheerful giver. And when we act in generous obedience to him, God is able to make all grace abound towards us. So when we heed his word and his spirit, in the little things, like, I think I should give my wife a kiss. Hmm, where did that come from? No, I'm not going to do that, it? Follow this flesh. Follow, sorry, follow this spirit. Instead of... <laughs> Okay. And God has made all the grace abound towards us.